Holy Spirit, amen. I would like to start this sermon with a poem uh, by Teresa of Avelia, a 16th century Carmelite and mystic, who says this, Christ has no body now on earth but yours, no hands but yours, no feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which Christ's compassion is to look out to the world. Yours are the feet with which Christ is to go about doing good. Yours are the hands with which Christ is to bless all people now. Paul today is writing to a Corinthian church who is supposed to resemble this with the gifts that God had given them. But they were making a a good mess of everything. (laughs) Uh, And Paul, in chapter 12 and 13, uh, that A.J. so wonderfully read for us, is showing them the way of what it truly means to be the body of Christ here on earth. And we get to reflect today as well with those Corinthians what it truly means to be the body of Christ here on earth. What does it look like? And we're going to see today that it looks like lovingly using our gifts is behaving like Christ. Is becoming like Christ. And ultimately beholding Christ himself. That lovingly using our gifts is behaving like Christ becoming like Christ, and ultimately, yes, even beholding Christ himself. And so he starts, our passage starts with chapter 12, uh, verse 27. And he says, Now you are all the body of Christ and individually members of it. And then he goes down this list of uh, these gifts that he has given and the people that he has given to build up the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongue. Are all prophets, are all apostles, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And essentially what he is saying is exactly what Jesus did when he was on earth. So the Holy Spirit is gifting you to do. Jesus did not stop ministering to his people to the world. He just has his church to do it. And he gifts his people with the same things and the power that he had to do the very work that he did. And this is just a continuation of Jesus' ministry through the church because he is, because we are the body of Christ. And so first, apostles, right? There are the capital A apostles, those who knew Jesus, walked with him, uh, were the 
12 apostles, 13 Paul, and they were the inspired writers of the New Testament, and then little a apostles, those who sort of did the same work of the apostles and going and planting and, and establishing churches and proclaiming the gospel and just out there on the frontier. Um, likewise, we have capital P prophets in Scripture, um, those people who, uh, again, were the inspired authors of God, as well as little p prophets, those who take the apostles' teaching and locally apply it to the church. And we have teachers, those people who teach the people what the, pro the apostles told them. They just pass on the information. And we see we have healers, those who heal uh, all sorts of, really anything, resembling this new kingdom, this new reality that is breaking in by the power of the Holy Spirit, this kingdom of God. We see that we have uh, workers of miracles, these amazing actions uh, that can only be explained by supernatural divine intervention. Again, pointing to the reality of the word that has been preached. Listen to this, because this is the same power coming from the same source. All of these things, helping, administrating, that administrating word is, is used almost like a rudder in a ship in the Greek, that it guides and helps people find their way. Helping is sort of what a deacon would think to do, where you're constantly helping the poor and, and serving them. All of these gifts are the same thing if you think about Jesus' ministry that he did, just continuing through his church. And it's remarkable, if you think about it, that we have these gifts that God has given us to continue to do and delight in the work of ministry. What an amazing privilege, to be honest. Um, it's something that Paul says, continue to seek the higher gifts. Oh, I forgot tongues. Uh, <laughs> going back real quick, also speaking in tongues is sort of this prayer language where you can utter the mysteries of God. And all of these things are given to the church to, again, resemble what Christ has done and continue that ministry empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is really uh, what the bishop prays for in a lot of ways at confirmation. When he comes and prays for us at confirmation, he asks that we be filled with the Holy Spirit anew, afresh, even more strengthened. Really, in a lot of ways, this is sort of the ordination of everybody. That we are now these people that get to continue empowered by the Holy Spirit, equipped with the Holy Spirit, with gifts to go out and serve the church, serve one another, um, and continue the work of, of Christ's ministry here on earth as his body. Um, it sort of would be like if, to sort of go down these lists of, of gifting, if I were to come as an apostle, and I'd say, as an apostle, I meet Brother Tim, and he's just some pagan, loose-living guy out in Corinth. I would say as an apostle, Brother Tim, or not Brother Tim yet, Tim, yeah. <laughs> repent and turn to Jesus and be saved. As a teacher, I would say, this is what it means to repent and turn to Jesus. It means you forsake the sin, the uh, the world, the devil, and you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, trust in his grace. As a prophet, I'd say, 
Tim, I'm noticing you're not really resting in the promises and the sonship of God. Maybe, um, and now guidance, maybe a Sabbath might be helpful. Are you, are you Sabbathing, Tim? Are you remembering the, the sonship that you have in God? Maybe if I was healing, I would literally pray that, Lord, take away all these evil thoughts that now Brother Tim has and heal his mind and heart, and maybe he would respond with tongues. This is... This is... This is an amazing work that we have that we can do. Thank you for being a good sport, Brother Tim. Um, and it's... It's something that I think sometimes we don't exercise based off of sort of a false humility. Um, sort of a false humility that says, I don't want to engage, I don't want to help, I don't want to serve, or whatever it is, or exercise these gifts. Because um, I don't want to like, you know, we're going to get to love in a second, but not like think too highly of myself, or you know, overextend myself, or whatever the case may be. Um, and I remember a seminary professor <laughs> starting a class, she always had a big smile. And she says, um, I will be taking uh, participation grades because those who don't participate, well, that's called social loafing. And that will not happen here. Um, and, it's, and it's, we shouldn't be spiritually loafing. It's essentially, um, in a lot of ways, what could have been happening here in the Corinth church. In some ways, they weren't, Spiritual loafing, they were actually exalting in their gifts and even shunning others that don't have them. And they were, you know, using these as places of pride and points of pride. But it's just such a wonderful, beautiful, and to be honest, the image that I had, and this is going to sound a little weird, but it's kind of true, is Captain America, right? Or, uh, sorry, Planet Earth, or Planet... Captain, Captain Planet, that's right. <laughs> Where the earth, the wind, the fire, and the, the water, and the wind, and I think there's even charity... They come together and make this man and they kick electrical butt and defeat all the, you know, the waste sewer treatment plants and stuff. Um, we all need each other and the Lord is gifting each one of us and some of us don't have the gifts that you have. And we all need to come together and be the body of Christ. Some of us don't even know what our gifts are or haven't even asked, which is a great plug for Joshua's. <laughs> seeking your place in ministry course where you can come and learn and, and, and where, how has God gifted me? How am I a part of this body of Christ, that Christ the Redeemer? How can I be used? And so if, if these gifts are sort of the animated body of how we're supposed to be the hands and feet, then what Paul moves to next in 1 Corinthians is sort of the blood of the body. And that's love. He doesn't go to another gift. Love isn't another gift. It's really the blood that makes the body actually alive to begin with. It's the thing that the virtue that makes all of these things right and good and true. And this is a depiction of love based on their specific situation, but it is one that is absolutely breathtaking, and I'm not going to be able to cover everything um, in the next couple of minutes that I have, but we're going to look at this passage of love that puts all of these gifts in their place and makes them actually 
truly pleasing to God. So the first thing that we see is, I will still show you a more excellent way. Verse 1, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not long love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I pro- have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, but have not love and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I have... And deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love. I gain nothing. This amazing, sort of frightening realization that we could be doing all of these things for the wrong reasons and they count for absolutely nothing at all. And I was even thinking back on my life is how many potential years or Instances of when I was thought doing good works for God are absolutely meaningless to him. And it really, this, this passage rang me through the ringer. Um, it is sobering to think that without love, all of these gifts that we have are not. And the one, I, I can't necessarily explain every single one of these, but the one that is the most startling is if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. This is the most intense and serious one. The idea here is, if I give up all I have, if I literally sell everything and give it to other people, if I literally even sell myself into slavery, and take that money, that slavery money that I just sold myself into, and purchase someone else's freedom, But I'm not doing this out of love. I've gained nothing. And even more so, if I die for somebody, even, but I'm not doing it with love, then it's all for naught. Um, And then he goes into what love truly is. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love is patient and kind. Patient is the passive side of love. Kind is the active side of love. So patience is this idea that God, for generation after generation, patiently dealt with Israel and did not treat them the way that they ought to have been treated. And we all know this sometimes as parents, we get a little glimmer of this probably, where we don't always, we have patience, we don't always treat our children the way that they should be treated, they're acting. We have patience, we are passively withholding and maintaining and hanging in there with them. 
George Mueller, who I've talked about earlier in sermons, he's one of my heroes of the faith. That man patiently, dedicated, prayed for people for generations or decades. Decades. Every single day, he patiently, actively prayed for them. And he, even on like the, his deathbed, he was still praying for this one person. And right before he died, he came to Christ. But with this patient endurance, he just continued to pray, this heart filled with love. Even if people that you love are treating you like you're a non-entity or worse. As we heard last week, even your enemy, we bear with them. We have this patience. Kindness is treating people like they don't deserve, being active. We have to pay for kindness, don't we? We've got to go to a fancy restaurant or a nice hotel to be kind, to get kindness and pay a lot of money. We have to, you know, this, this kindness, though, this out of charity, out of love within our hearts is, is treating others the way that they don't deserve to be treated, which will startle anybody. It startles me when I'm treated the way I don't deserve. When I'm maybe short or flippant with my parents and they still love and call me and and hang in there with me and treat me still as their son. And that's, all of this is how God is treating us. It goes on, love does not envy or boast. Again, the Corinthians had a really hard time with envying and boasting. They would have these spiritual gifts and they would use it to sort of exalt themselves over the other. Um, But that's not love. Love is not rude or, in another way, exposing shame. The idea here, this word is used often like a, a young man should not be acting as with his betrothed in a way that would make shame come upon her. Right? You shouldn't be acting in a shameful way or, or exposing shame or, or being rude in this way. Love does not insist on its own way. This might be the greatest difference with our culture. Love in our culture is all about my way and what gratifies me, whereas love is here is saying it does not insist on its own way. A quick story, I remember a pastor once saying that there was a man who vehemently opposed the church's proposal to build an addition on the church. The church was dwindling in size, and they had an epiphany. Well, if we build it, they will come. And so they spent all of this money to build this addition on the church when they didn't really need it. And guess what? The church ultimately had to close down because it was in debt and all this stuff. But guess who was there with a shovel on the very next day after the vote? That man who was so outspoken was a very man who, with a shovel in hand, was the first one to greet everybody at the construction site the next day. He did not insist on his own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Love deletes the filing cabinet of grievances that we have against people. (laughs) Throws it right out the window. Deletes all of the history, the text thread. Deletes everything. Love doesn't keep a record of wrong. You know, as a counselor, sometimes I'm sitting with uh, couples and we have some fair fighting rules. And some of the fair fighting rules, including not bringing up the past, that's not going to help anybody. Um, And this is a loving thing to do. And this is exactly what God does with us, right? God 
does not reckon our sins against us in Christ. No longer. They are forgotten. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but celebrates in what is true. Essentially, love is just. It does not celebrate with injustice, but celebrates with truth. Love bears and endures all things, and ultimately love hopes and trusts in all things. And we see this bearing and enduring are the present, and this hoping and trusting is more future-oriented. And we have uh, the hope and the trust we can bear and endure. And it's not necessarily saying um, that as with believing all things, that God does not, as Gordon Fee says, Paul does not mean that love always believes the best about everything and everyone, but that love never ceases to have faith. Another commentator, this is not about love not about always trusting those around us who are often not worthy of such trust, but about trusting the one who calls us to love others and live out that love for others as a reflection of our trust in him, meaning God. And so it's this trust in God, completely always, another translation, which I prefer actually here, says, which leads us to even bear with those around us that don't deserve our trust. Likewise, hope all things. Again, not a naive wishing for the best for everybody, everyone, but instead being so sure of the hope that we have in Christ that we wager the pain to hang in there with those who need hope in the present. And the greatest example of someone who displays all of these attributes of this virtue of love, of course, is Jesus Christ. And we see that in our gospel passage today, don't we? We see that when he is up in glory, enjoying the glory of God, and yet comes down the mountain to do exactly what he and Elijah, representing the law and the prophets, Elijah, the prophets, Moses, the law, to fulfill their ministries and to come down that mountain to fulfill exactly what they were talking about the moment of his departure, the cross. Where God himself, this is my son, God himself is going to allow himself to be sold into the slavery of sin and death that he might purchase us free from that. And yes, even give his body over to death on the cross, that we might be free and have life. I was so floored again by the challenge that it is to love this week and really how incapable I feel like I am with it. But just this gospel passage reminding me this is something that God does first for us, that we are first loved, and that he defeats on that cross the very power that makes me incapable of loving and instead gives me a new heart that is filled with love in the Holy Spirit, Romans 8, that we are never separated from God but can actually exercise these gifts 
in a way that does not bring shame to God's body, but honor and glory to his name because we have the heartbeat of God that flows the, the blood of love in our veins to go exercise these gifts for his glory. Lovingly using our gifts is behaving and becoming like Christ. And as we do this, we become more and more like Christ. More and more like Christ. And all of this is going somewhere. It starts with this amazing love of Christ that is displayed at the cross. And it's bookended with this consummation of love and meeting and beholding Christ at the end of all time. I know life can feel like a circle, but it's actually on some sort of trajectory. <laughs> there's, a, there's a line through that circle. And it's leading to this amazing moment as Paul describes, he calls the perfect. The perfect is coming and the partial will pass away. And it's this idea both of this time and space coming together, but also this, this greater degree of glory coming. All of this with Christ's return. Where some things will be absolutely obsolete, right? Like after the judgment of Christ, there won't need to be any more prophets because it already happened. Uh, we've already been judged and found blameless through Christ, and so we get to be with him. So some of these gifts become obsolete, yet these three, the greatest faith, hope, and love, the cardinal virtues, as they're sometimes called, those, in a sense, move from a lesser degree to a greater, just like knowledge. I know in part, you can see through the glassy mirror, but then I'll know in full, I was like a young a boy, and now I became a man. This, this greater degree will come into our view and we will literally get to behold Christ. And this faith, this hope, this love will be complete, will be perfected. And it's sort of like when you finally are reunited with old family. Uh, maybe some of you are in the Navy and you've been deployed and you come back and it's this beautiful reunion. And it's not like your faith and your hope go away, but it's just you're there with them. So you, you, that trust and that hope is there, of course, but it's, but it's, you know, assumed really in this amazing love, hopefully. And love is the greatest of all these, and that's what it's going to be like with Christ. This body that returns as a bride to the one who is coming, who is going to make all things new, who purchased us, as we talked about, with his very own blood. I remember I was at seminary. And uh, I was reading a commentary, and I was so moved that I left my carol, which is like my desk, and I went into this room, this empty uh, classroom. And I was a first-year seminarian, and so I prayed, I prayed, Lord, show me your glory. And I was a first-year seminarian, and I'm not ready to see God's glory. <laughs> so the Lord answered my prayer a different way, and he, and he truly showed up and what was there was his love and 
I really can't explain it much, but this place you don't want to leave. You never want to go back. And you're, I was weeping. I couldn't really see anything. I mean, it's just, you just don't want to leave. <laughs> Sounded like Peter, out of his mind, Luke says, can we make some tents? <laughs> Somehow. But no, he had to go down that mountain. He had to go to the cross to show us an even greater glory than Moses who had to cover his face. To show us what true love truly means that we might be redeemed and show that love to one another in the world using our gifts in a way that serves one another and not ourselves until we're finally with him face to face and we'll never have to leave. We lovingly use our gifts in behaving like Becoming like and beholding ultimately Christ. Amen.